morning, church, and happy belated Thanksgiving. I invite you to pull out your Bibles as we will be reading from Ephesians 1. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible, it is on page 976. If you would, please stand with me as we read from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray for us again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that was just read. Now, we ask of your Holy Spirit to accompany the preaching of your word that spiritual fruit might be sowed and, and reaped here in this congregation, that you would do a work among us by your power and for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, this morning I have the privilege of introducing a new ministry project that we are doing as an entire church called Chosen. This is in partnership with an organization called World Vision, and it's focused on the noble and needed task of child sponsorship. Now, if you're not familiar with that kind of ministry, child sponsorship is all about connecting you with a child in an underserved region of the world with the goal of meeting material, relational, and spiritual needs. And organizations like World Vision have a lot of people already on the ground working in various countries, serving impoverished communities, which brings them in contact all the time with children who are facing the challenges of poverty and malnutrition, as well as the dangers of disease and exploitation. So what child sponsorship does is that it creates a connection, a connection between these children and their communities with individuals in communities like ours that are blessed with relative affluence and abundance. And so if you get involved with child sponsorship, you will be personally connected with one specific child, which then gives you a chance to communicate, a chance to send them letters, send them photos, send them gifts during the holidays or on their birthday, and they'll write back to you as well. And there, a real relationship with a real kid can be forged. Now, for maximum effectiveness your monthly donation is going to be pulled together with others who are sponsoring children in the exact same district. See, World Vision has discovered over the many years of them doing this that the best way to help a child is to strengthen the child's entire community. And so what they're going to do with those funds is to invest in projects that improve water and sanitation, health and nutrition, education, child protection, and of course, of course, the spiritual nurture of their souls. That's, that's what 
they're doing on the ground in these communities. And so what we're going to be doing now is to work with World Vision, working with the country of Vietnam, specifically in villages found in the Mong Ang district. That's a mountainous district in northwest Vietnam, and we're going to be serving an ethnic minority people group called the Mong. They're also an unreached people group. They live in one of the poorest districts in the country where families struggle to provide just the, the most basic of needs for their children. So malnutrition rates are extraordinarily high, and many suffer from just preventable diseases. And of course, a lack of education and a lack of opportunity leaves women and children extremely vulnerable in these particular communities. So that, my friends, is why we want to work with this people group. This is, these are the challenges facing the Hmong people. Now, you might be wondering, why this project and why do it now? Well, as you know, we've, we've already begun this building campaign. So we've been talking a lot about this, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about how you can be able to support this project that we're doing to expand and to renovate our facilities. Now, of course, our building project is largely designed to serve our community, the community around us. And that, of course, includes our children and our children's children and generations to come. And so that's all part of what we believe is God's vision for us as a church uh, moving forward into the future. But with so much attention being placed on our needs and the needs of our children and our community, Man, I am so glad that we have this opportunity to fix our eyes at the exact same time on the needs around the world, to focus on the poorest, to focus on the most vulnerable of people, on children. So with both projects happening concurrently, we hope and pray that you are moved and you are moved to get involved and you are moved to give sacrificially both internally and externally, both locally and globally, we want to focus on both. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to conclude our worship service a bit earlier than usual because we have an opportunity to invite a World Vision representative to come up here and explain uh, uh, what child sponsorship is all about. Uh, and also to tell you about the unique approach of child sponsorship that World Vision does and how you can get involved. What well, my goal is in this sermon is for us to study a passage, as we always do, that would provide for us a theological basis for how we can approach the ministry of child sponsorship. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and we're going to highlight the biblical concept of being chosen by God. If you want to follow along, look inside your bulletin. You'll see an outline. And we're going to consider three things as we walk through this text. First, we're going to consider the reality of God choosing. Second, the purpose of God choosing. And third, the basis of God choosing. And I'll try, of course, to relate all of that to this child sponsorship project. So let's start with the reality of God choosing. This, of course, is emphasized in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and that's what we learn in verses 1 and 2. And in verse 3, Paul begins praising God, blessing God 
for blessing us with every spiritual blessing that's out there. Notice how he says everything. He says every, every spiritual blessing. So he's saying that no blessing of the Spirit is held back from you. Every available spiritual blessing is yours if you are in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on in the, the, the verses following to unpack blessing upon blessing. Now, before we, we go into looking at some of these blessings, we need to ask ourselves the question of why? Why are these abundant blessings given to us Christians? Why are they ours? Well, the answer Paul gives lies in a choice. A choice that God made a long, long time ago, before you and I even existed, before even the foundation of the world was set down. Let me read, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. Now, friends, that that word predestined in the original Greek means to decide on something beforehand, to predetermine something. So predestination is suggesting that your destination, where you're headed, where you're eventually going to end up is something that is predetermined by God. Now, I know this idea of God choosing and predestining people might, might be a new concept for some of you, so perhaps you're not exactly sure what to think about that. Others have heard of predestination before, and you don't like it all that much. Perhaps you've heard it debated, you've heard it argued uh, over, and, and it, you've heard it just generate a lot of heat but not much light. And so that's why, you know, just talking about it just seems to, uh, you feel uncomfortable with it. Well, let me just be clear. I think there are legitimate differences in interpretation when it comes to this concept of predestination, especially when, it, when, when you're trying to determine how God's sovereign choosing can be compatible with man's free will. How do those two go hand in hand? Christians have been debating that for centuries, and I'm not going to pretend that to have all the answers for you. But friends, neither side of the debate is going to deny that God chose us in Christ or that he predestines us in love because that's what it plainly says in the text. That's what it says right there in verses three and verses four and five. So in the end, in the end, we shouldn't be committed to any particular system of theology. We should be committed to the Bible. And the Bible says, for every one of us, our final destination has been predetermined by God, determined by a choice that he made before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, before God created anything, including us, it says he made a choice. And, and the whole point of emphasizing this chronological order of him doing this before is to stress the very freeness of the choice that he made. 
When God chose us to be the recipients of these tremendous blessings in Christ, he was not under any obligation to do so. He was completely free in his choosing. His choosing was not in response to something that we said or something that we did, because we didn't even exist yet. That's how early this choice was made. So the whole point of God choosing us before creating us communicates that he did not take into consideration our good or our bad deeds. And that's, that's what Paul later on in another letter teaches in Romans chapter 9, where he points to the patriarch Jacob and explains how even though Jacob was the younger twin, he was chosen, he was chosen to receive the blessing of the firstborn. And this choice, we're told, was made before Jacob and his brother were born, before either boy had done, quote, good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So God is completely free to choose because he's the first to choose. So, friends, what is all of that have to do with child sponsorship. Well, if you get involved, then you're going to have to make a choice. A choice to enter into a committed relationship. A relationship that involves you blessing another. Well, if that's going to be a relationship modeled after God's relationship with us, then that choice that you make shouldn't be based on any worthy qualities found in the one whom you seek to bless. So in other words, you shouldn't decide which children that you're going to help based on their track record or based on their potential. So, so you don't look to the past to see if, if they've been a good kid. And you don't even look to the future to predict if they're going to become a good kid. Their worthiness to receive our blessing, that shouldn't even be a factor in our decision to get involved in this kind of a relationship. So let's be honest. If you've done this before, if you've participated before in child sponsorship, you know how tempting it is to choose which kid to sponsor by looking at all those photos and trying to pick out the cutest one, right? I mean, or, or you're looking for a kid that reminds you uh, of some kid that you know, maybe it's one of your own children or some, some, some child in your life that, 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 that you uh, um, care about, and you're looking like, you're looking at appearances, you're looking at which kid really stands out to you. So in the end, we tend to choose based on some quality in the child that stands out. It would be so much better. So much better if there was a way to remove that factor completely, completely out of the equation. If only there was a way of entering into a sponsoring relationship without being so influenced by what this kid looks like, that would help. That would help us to choose like God chooses us. Let's go back to our text. We've seen that if you're going to take Scripture seriously, you can't deny the reality of God choosing. I mean, it says it right there. But you might still be left wondering the purpose of God choosing. And so that's our second point. Paul actually mentions for us three purposes within our text. So the first purpose for why God chooses you 
we're told, is for your holiness. Look back at verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that, here's a purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So you were chosen in Christ so that you would one day be perfectly conformed into the image of Christ. That's, that's one purpose. Now the next two purposes are found in verses 5 to 6. Let's, let's keep looking in verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Okay, so here it says that you were predestined for your adoption. That's the second purpose. You were chosen in order to receive the gift of sonship, to be welcomed into the family of God, enjoying the same privileges that belong to God's only begotten Son. It's now yours. And thirdly, thirdly, we're told that you were chosen by God for His glory. Look at verse 6. You were predestined for adoption. Verse 6 to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, in other words, you were chosen by God in order to exalt the glory of his grace. His amazing grace that is brilliantly on display in choosing you without a view towards your worthiness. He chose you by grace. So you were chosen for your holiness, for your adoption, and for his glory. Now, for the purpose of our message today, I'm just going to focus on that second purpose. You were chosen for adoption. And, and friends, this is what I find just so amazing about the gospel. Because the good news of Christianity is not just that those who trust in Christ are pardoned for our sins by God the judge, as, as glorious of a truth as that is. The good news is that we are welcomed into the family by God the Father. We are seated at his table, and we are called sons and daughters. And our elder brother... Jesus, he willingly shares his heavenly inheritance with all of his adopted siblings. That's the good news. And to really appreciate just how gracious and how loving this relationship is, you really have to to distinguish our adoption in Christ from how adoptions typically functioned in the first century Greco-Roman world. See, adoptions in those days were not uncommon. Like today, they also involved a a change in legal status. But the big difference, the huge difference, is that in those days, you would rarely ever adopt an orphaned baby. You wouldn't adopt a child. Instead, you would adopt a young man who shows a lot of potential. See, if, if you were well off, But if you didn't have any sons, then you would go around and you would look for a respectable young man who's fit to carry on the family name, to to care for your family estate. That was someone that you would adopt, a young man, and you would take him into your family as your son, now your heir. And that was common practice. 
the best example of that kind of adoption would, of course, be Julius Caesar adopting Gaius Octavius when he was a young man to become Julius Caesar, Caesar's son, to become his heir. Octavius, you, you probably better know him as Augustus, Caesar Augustus. So did you realize the most powerful Roman emperor in the world, who's even mentioned in the gospel accounts, he ended up in that position through adoption. By adoption, he was legally a son and legally eventually the emperor of Rome. But do you see, do you see how, how different it is? Do you see the difference in the way that God adopts us? He chose us, not even just when we were babies, but before the foundation of the world itself. And that was to show that your legal status as a child of God is pure grace. It's a pure gift of grace. You weren't chosen for your respectability. You weren't chosen for your fitness to be a worthy heir. You are a child of God simply because God chose to make you one. Unlike Julius Caesar, God wasn't desperate. He wasn't desperately searching for an heir because he already had a son. He had the perfect heir. So God chose to adopt you when he did so, it wasn't like he was, he was running out of choices. He, he wasn't desperate. No, it was a free and sovereign choice on his part. So what that then means, what that then means is that there's no reason to fear that God is ever going to grow disappointed in his choice of you because the thought of sending you back has never crossed his mind and it never will. And there's no need to fear that God will, only, will, will love his only begotten son with greater affection than you, that, that, that you're going to be kicked out of the family if you can't perform to the same level as Christ Jesus. Friends, there's no competition here, at, at least not coming from Jesus. You, you need to know the kind of elder brother that you have in Christ. In John 17, in John 17, the high, high priestly prayer of Jesus, in verse 23, he prays to the Father that the world would know, quote, would know that you sent me and love them. He's talking about his disciples and all who would believe uh, through the disciples' message. That includes us. That you sent me and that you love them even as you loved me. He wants the world to know that God loves his disciples as much as he loves him. So Jesus wants his adopted siblings to be loved with the exact same love that he enjoys from the Father. There's no jealousy on Jesus' part. All that belongs to him as the rightful heir of heaven, he willingly shares with us. And that's why the Bible calls us co-heirs with Christ. So what does that mean for child sponsorship? Well, first, let's be clear that child sponsorship is not the same as legal adoption in the sense that there is no legal status change between you and that child you sponsor. And, of course, your commitment to sponsor a child is not permanent like you find in adoption. But child sponsorship is similar in the sense that you are welcoming this child into your family. 
You're not just offering the blessing of resources. You're offering the blessing of relationship. You are caring for that child as if he or she were in your family. But like God the Father, we should not, we, we should enter into a sponsoring relationship. Don't do it out of a position of emptiness, but make sure you're doing it out of a, out of a position of fullness. So, so don't get involved if you're desperate to please God or you're desperate to please other people. Don't do it because you think that by sponsoring a kid, you're going to now be more spiritual in God's eyes or, or in the eyes of others. But if you're filled with the love of God, if you're secure in a love that could never be earned, that could never be deserved, then out of abundance, would you prayerfully consider pouring out some of that love into the life of a child. That would be a beautiful, a beautiful reflection of the adopting love of God. So my point is, don't do it because you're needy. But at the same time, don't just do it because a child is needy. Being moved to sponsor a kid when confronted with the needs among the poorest of the poor and the most vulnerable of the vulnerable, yes, that's good. And that's something that we do hope for. That would demonstrate that you have a compassionate heart. But I would argue that even your compassion for needy children shouldn't be the ultimate basis for entering into a sponsoring relationship. So let's consider now our third and final point, the basis of God choosing. Notice how when God chose us, he's motivated not by something needy in us, but he's motivated by something abundant in him. Look look back at verse 5. It doesn't say, in pity he predestined us. No, that would be the case if it was something needy in us that was motivating him. No, it says he was moved to choose us, not out of pity, but out of love. So let that sink in, church. The God of all creation, in eternity past, before he flung the universe into existence, he thought of you. He had you on his mind. He freely set his love upon you. He chose to love you. Not because he knew that you would arrive on earth someday and become so lovely and so lovable. Not because, not because he foreknew that one day you would love him. No, God chose to love you because he chose to love you. He chose to love you because he chose to love you. I, I, I know, that sounds like, like circular reasoning. I love you because I love you. You're like, oh man, that sounds like kind of a, like, like a weak answer. It's like a cop-out. Like you couldn't think of anything else. But I guarantee you, friends, that is the kind of love that all of us want. The kind of love that all of us are looking for. Nothing is more comforting, nothing is more securing than the kind of love that has its own inner logic. You don't want your husband to say that he loves you because you're so beautiful, or you're so smart, or you're so funny. 
You don't want that to be the basis of his love for you because, 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 because you don't want, because you want a love that's based on something not that's in you or about you. Because if that's what his love is based on, well, there's always a chance of perhaps losing that love. What happens when one day you're no longer so beautiful or so smart or so funny as you once were? Or what happens if he meets someone that's more beautiful or, or smarter or, or funnier? Do you see? What you really want, the kind of love you're really looking for is a love for you that's not based on anything in you or about you. And that's exactly the kind of love that is found in Christ. In Christianity, God loves you. Not out of admiration because you're such a good person. Not even out of pity because you're such a needy person. No, God loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he chose to love you even before time began. And in the fullness of time, he proved that love by sending his son to live the life that you that were designed to live and to die the death that you deserve to die. And when the time was ripe, he put his spirit in you to seal his love as a guarantee so that you can be sure you will never lose it. You will never lose his love. He loves you because he loves you. And so think about what that means for child sponsorship. When we get involved, we have the opportunity to demonstrate a key aspect of the gospel. We get to display God's love by choosing to enter into a relationship with a child, not because of the child's worthiness, not because of the child's neediness, but because we made a choice a choice to set our love on a child even before we met them. In other words, you love a sponsored child because you chose to love that child. That's how you reflect the love of God. And that's what we're here to do. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this text and the truth that it reveals and thank you for this chosen project. And now it gives us an opportunity to reflect the same kind of love with which you love us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Father. And now may you move us by your Spirit to respond with faith and obedience. All for your glory. And in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.